0: Hey, I want to start with a quick question this morning, okay? So if you, uh, uh, watch out, if you had the opportunity to just tell somebody um, a story about Jesus um, that would talk about just kind of who he is, his character, what, what story pops into your mind from the Gospels? What would you share with them? What's kind of your, your go-to story that you might share? Just give me, give me an example. Let's make this easy. Wait, what pops in your head? Yeah. What's that? The woman at the well. Okay. Awesome. And store. What's that? And store. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Over here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The woman caught in the act of adultery about to be stoned. What else? Anybody? Yes. Jesus and the children. Jesus and the children. Okay. Saying, come to me. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, like the, a lot of those things are the things that, that pop into our head first, right? Because we love that Jesus. We love that Jesus, right? Warm, fuzzy Jesus, like children's book Jesus. Like the world loves that Jesus. (laughs) But there's another side to Jesus, isn't there? John 1 says this. It says, Jesus came into this world full of grace and truth. And this beautiful, um, complicated combination in perfect balance. And so today we're going to talk about um, the Jesus that nobody wants to know, Jesus that nobody wants to know, the stories and images of him that probably aren't going to find their way into the children's books about Jesus. (laughs) So the Enneagram has become kind of a big thing in the last few years, definitely in kind of mainstream Christian culture. How many people have taken it, know their type? Okay. A lot of you guys out there. Okay. Okay. so basically the premise of the Enneagram is um, that we all have a leaning towards one of nine personality types that kind of all humans kind of would fit into one of those categories as kind of their primary way of viewing the world and their perspective, okay? And that each of those um, types contain a piece or a facet of Christ's character. So there, he, he had the perfect blend of all nine of those um, without sin, okay? And it took me a while to kind of come to terms with, oh yeah, that's what that is actually. So if any of you guys know me at all, you're not surprised that I'm a type three achiever, okay? And so um, any other type threes out there, achievers? Yeah, I see those hands. Beautiful, okay? So With this summer, we were studying with our staff and and we were kind of studying our type and then we gave a presentation to the rest of the staff on, hey, here's who we are, kind of how we're wired. You know, Blair went over the top with a PowerPoint slideshow and, you know, fog machine and all kinds of things. And um, so Justin's like, yeah. (laughs) She went first and was like, really? Is this what we're gonna do? So anyways, it was awesome, Blair. Appreciate it, yes. Um, So... uh, So when I was reading through the material about the three and reading some chapters and some stuff online and stuff, there was one word that kind of described a facet of of my personality that just kept sticking out. And that one word was efficiency. Efficiency. Like, I love when things go according to the perfect plan that I've laid out, like clockwork, right? Like, hey, we're going to get up at this time, we're going to eat breakfast at this time, we're going to leave at this time, we're going to arrive at this time, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, we're going to leave at this time, we're all going to come home and it's going to be awesome, right? And when that happens, really, honestly, no matter what happens in between, if it, like, went according to my plan, like clockwork, I'm like, that was a pretty good day, right? Yeah, so I love it when things happen like that, but here's what I've learned so here's what I've learned. People that, that don't operate like that, that are kind of just kind of loosey-goosey, go with the flow type folks, right? Uh, or people who tend to overthink or overanalyze every decision. Like those people drive me nuts because it's so inefficient. We're just wasting time here, folks, okay? And I'm also a person who likes to get things done. So if someone has an idea and it seems like a pretty good idea, I'm like, let's, let's make it happen. Let's see if it works, the sooner the better. So I like action. I like doing things, right? So folks with personality types that are a little bit more cautious, a little bit more hesitant and fearful maybe, or um, you know, maybe they, they talk about doing a lot of things, but they don't actually get around to doing them. Those folks are hard for me. Um, it's a challenge. Um, well, guess what? <laughs> I've learned a ton about Jesus through this process because Jesus was inefficient sometimes. Right. And the famous story that stands out for me is you know uh, there's a, a influential man in town whose whose child is sick. And they come to Jesus like, hey, you've got to come to our house and, and heal this guy. And the disciples are thinking, oh, man, this is going to be great PR for Jesus because this is an important guy. If he can go heal this kid's son, everybody's going to be like, woo, Jesus, we're going to get some good movement here. So the crowd, everybody's, the mob's following everybody to, to this guy's house. And then along the way, the, the bleeding woman comes up and touches Jesus' robe because she just kind of wants to slink into the crowd. She didn't want to get noticed. And the story says that Jesus stopped and he was like, who touched me? Right, And then this woman steps forward, and then, he, then it says that he listened to her whole story. And I guarantee you, if I'd have been there, and if I'd have been one of the disciples, I'd have been like, oh my gosh, how long is he going to listen to the story? Like, we need to get going. Let's go. Come on, bro. We got things to do here. Right? That would have been me in that moment. I would have lost my mind. <laughs> so sadly, <laughs> and this is just, you know, because one of the problems with the achievers that were kind of arrogant okay? Did I say that out loud? Is that okay to say that? Um, Is that it took me a while to realize that my personality actually bothered other people. (laughs) I'm like, come on. Like, we get things done. We achieve things. It's efficient. Who doesn't want to be like that? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? But what I found is that Everybody's kind of like that. Like everybody, their worldview and perspective is like, how come other people don't see things like this? Like, doesn't this make the most sense, right? Um, So funny because just a classic example of how I drive people crazy. So my son Xavier is eight, right? And Kristen and I take turns, you know, kind of getting him ready for bed. So when it's my night, oh man, it's like this happens at this time. We take the medicine here. We hop in the shower here. Bedtime should take this much time, right? Right? And Xavier is in the shower the other night, and he's just like, and I've, he's a little rough, okay, getting him to do things. So I like, the way that works for me is like, I'm going to set a timer. You got three minutes to take your shower, okay? So three minutes, man, come on, we can do this, right? So I, I pull the curtain back three minutes later, he's just standing there you know? So I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not, you haven't done anything. You haven't washed your body. You haven't even washed your hair. You haven't done it. So I, you know, hop in there, kind of help them. I'm getting them out. I'm drying them off. I mean, I was having a rough week. So, you know, grace for Bob is what you should be thinking right now, right? And he goes, dad, you are stressing me out. And I'm like, I bet I am, buddy. stressing myself out, just listening to myself talk. So, Guys, when it comes to Jesus, there are going to be certain aspects of his nature that we're all going to have to like adjust to and, and learn to, to, to deal with, because they're going to be a challenge for us. So part of us being saved <clears throat> is a willingness to surrender to his way, because his way is going to push against a lot of our natural ways of operating and thinking, we're not going to like the way Jesus goes about some things and then calls us to, to follow him in these ways because it's going it's to push on the way we'd like to do things. Okay, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Sadly, this, that's about as funny as this message is going to be. So, uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to laugh a whole lot the rest of the time, but hey, that was a good ride. So Matthew chapter 10, page 884. Okay, at the start of this chapter... Jesus has gathered his, his disciples up together, and he's getting ready to send them out. And he says, guys, I'm going to give you the power and authority to go and, and uh, do miracles and to heal diseases and to cast out demons. And, and he's trying to prepare them. Hey, there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some people that aren't going to receive you very well. You might you know, get some persecution. And he also is trying to set them up with, and here's the gospel message about the king that I want you to communicate and what I, what, what I want you to call people to. Okay, so that's kind of the background as we head into this time. So i want to look at verse 34 of chapter 10. Jesus says this. He says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Man, Jesus is a bit hangry here. <laughs> Somebody needs to get that guy a Snickers, right? Chill out. Right? Like, you're probably not going to find that in the children's book over there teaching the three- or four-year-olds, right? Hey, kids, Jesus said you need to hate your father and mother, and then, you know, if you don't, you're not worthy of following him. You know, it's like, what? It's confusing, isn't it? And we've seen this side of Jesus before, especially just the last few weeks during this series, kind of this demanding and unyielding Jesus, a Jesus we'd rather not know at times. Our culture likes the coexist Jesus. Right, the let's just all get along, Jesus, right? Our our Christian radio stations like the positive and encouraging messages about Jesus. I want to turn on my radio so I can be pumped up for God, right? Which is fine. (laughs) Most people like the idea of God, right? This creator, this all-powerful creator. They like certain facets of him. A redeeming savior who loves and cares for us when we need him. And then quietly goes back into the servant's quarters when we're done with him. But the reality of God, ah, that's a different story. Let's look at his message. Starting in verse 4, he says, do not suppose. Other translations say, do not imagine that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Why did he say that? He said it because he knows that's exactly what we, we will think that he's trying to do right? We even have songs about peace on earth. And Jesus didn't come to bring priests on earth. He came to bring peace between God and man. Okay, he's seeking a higher peace. Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace he was seeking. He came to bring a sword Okay, the sword in Scripture is usually equated with eternal truth, and this truth is a message of peace that divides those who choose to receive it from those who choose to reject it. And Paul said that this message that he was preaching, to some it was the aroma of life, to others it was the aroma of death. There was no in-between, there is no in-between but Jesus. And many times the presence of Jesus divides rather than unifies. Many times the presence of Jesus divides rather than unifies. Why is that? Because when we follow the example of Jesus, we see these competing things, right? Because we live in a world, and Jesus' call, it goes against the way the world normally operates, Right? We live in a world, especially in America, that everybody's on the path of upward mobility. Right? More, bigger, better. And then we meet this Jesus who, who we've talked about this before, is on this path of downward mobility, of giving things in this world away so that he can love and serve others. And so we have these competing ideologies that, that I would just say to you guys, I don't know that it's possible that you can be on both paths at the same time going in opposite directions. We can't be living the American dream and trying to, you know, get more and more for ourselves here while also following a Jesus who's shedding things so that he could be more open to doing God's will and following what he has for us. Those things are competing against each other. And we have to choose which path we will follow. The world deals with conflict by holding grudges and bitterness and getting back. Right, and Jesus calls us to be just radically forgiving, to love our enemies, to pray for them. The world rewards people based on their ability to perform, while Jesus extends grace to us that's based on His performance, not ours. To do, um, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Right, Jesus performed on the cross. So that we could not be enemies with God any longer so that we can be friends with him. So when Jesus goes on to talk about the way the gospel message will turn family members against each other, that's what he's talking about. Because his kingdom is kind of this upside down way of looking at things for most people. And so sometimes when we come to our family and we've decided, hey, I'm gonna move in this direction with Jesus, we come to family and friends and if they're not Followers of Christ, and sometimes even if they claim to be, but I don't know if they really are, (laughs) they're not going to understand why you're doing the things you're doing and the choices that you're making to follow Jesus and to put him first in your life. They're not going to get it. And at some point, we have to decide who our allegiance will be with. And it might mean that you actually have to walk away from relationships with people that you know, might be related to you or might be a dear you know, friend you've had or a boyfriend or girlfriend that you've had that's not on the same path. And when push comes to shove, if we aren't willing to push the chips all in on Jesus, even if it means that we have to separate from those, from those folks, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple if you're not willing to do that. You're not worthy of me. And for a lot of people in this world, especially in countries like maybe China or Iran, where it's, it's actually illegal to be a Christian, that's exactly what people have to choose. They choose to follow Jesus. They're choosing to say goodbye to their family, maybe forever. And so when they read this passage, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it, because <laughs> they've lived it. They understand what Jesus means. That's why Jesus redefined family in the kingdom of God. Not based on biology, but based on theology, right? He says, your your mother, brother, sister, you know, who are those people? They're people that do the will of God. That's your true family. And I know a lot of us, I know I have, I've experienced that. I'm closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ than I am to a lot of my family members, right? These people are family to me. If you look in verse 37, you know, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's troubling. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about there? Well, guys, what he's talking about is he's talking about our ultimate affections, our ultimate allegiance, okay? And, and, and what we're, we're giving our heart to, what our first loves are. Bible commentator David Guzik, he put it like this, He said the greatest danger of idolatry comes not from what is bad, but from what is good, like love and family relationships. The greatest danger to the best comes from second best. Leave that up there for a minute. What are your thoughts on that? Or what would be maybe an example for your own life where you feel tension because there's a second best thing that competes for your heart? Yeah, Irene, you pop your mask down just so I can hear you real quick. (laughs) About the decisions that I had in my relationship with her, to choose to prioritize loving her over loving God, which would lead me to compromise in my own relationship with God, my walk with Christ, my relationship, my um, <clears throat> all the things that I I hold are true. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 so real relationships with family members who yeah who might not be pursuing Christ and yeah we can't just rubber stamp their decisions and say yeah that sounds great and it's like well no there's a there's a different truth and um yeah that's good it's hard yeah you can pop your mask off so I can hear you real quick sorry because hmm. it's yeah. and it keeps my eyes off of God, and what I truly need to focus my life on. Yeah, so he's talking about affirmation of people in this world, and how good that feels <laughs> in the short term, and that we seek that sometimes more than we seek the affirmation of God. Yeah, Matt? I think when we identify bad things in our life, it's, some, some of those things are rather obvious, Formulate a plan, an annihilation plan to those things, but uh, mm. the good things in our lives are can be very deceptive and kind of ensnare us in a place where we feel far from Christ, even as we're engaging mm. um, in these good, uh, healthy things in, in our lives. And it reminds me of like uh, C.S. Lewis goes like, "Evil is only spoiled goodness." So like, even the good in our lives can be twisted in a mm. way where it sends us very far mm. away from Christ. Evil is only spoiled goodness. Yeah. So he's saying that things that are are destructive, you know, um, we we can sometimes see real easily and and we can make a plan to kind of cut that out of our life and that just makes sense. But he said sometimes the things that um, are the second best are kind of a little bit more sneaky, right? And one of those things can be ministry, right? You can be doing things for God, right? Just like we talked about last week in Justin's message, right? Lord, Lord, we're doing all these things for you. He says, I never knew you, right? Because first and foremost, commandment number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest command, right? So that's the challenge that we have right now. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is Jesus a higher treasure in our life? Is he a higher treasure over anything or anyone? What rules your heart? What dictates your actions? What do you think about? What controls your mind? What are your first thoughts in the morning and your last thoughts at night? Is it Jesus? Because that's the level of submission and worship that he demands. A sign that our hearts are surrendered to him above everything else, first and foremost. And one of the the true marks of someone who's saved is the reality of this new birth that's happened in them. There's this deep, profound transformation of what we most love and treasure. And so has that shift in affections taken hold in your life? Would people around you acknowledge that there's been that transformation in you? God, they used to be really into this, or they used to really love this, but now they love Jesus more than those things, and I can see that. Our ultimate loyalty must be to him. And so in this passage, he's going straight at two things that tend to kind of have primacy in our lives, our family relationships that we just talked about, and then our own life, ourselves. Let's look at verse 38 and 39 again. It says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's hard for us to to really appreciate the context of this conversation that Jesus was having. Okay, This, this is a shocking language that Jesus is using here. This was the first mention of the cross in the book of Matthew. So the disciples at this time have no idea that Jesus is going to wind up on the cross. They don't understand that. And so when he compares following him, being a follower of Jesus, to this brutal, horrific death of crucifixion and saying that's what it means to be my follower, like the disciples had to just be horrified and jarred by that proclamation that sounds like a fun ride to be on right holy moly guys see these guys grew up in the region of galilee which is kind of in northern israel you got judah in the south where jerusalem was in the galilee where jesus was from and a lot of the disciples almost all of them were from there and there had been a jewish revolt against rome in about 4 B.C., so a little over 30 years before Jesus is making this statement, the Roman government had come in and squelched that rebellion. And the government at the time, in in the region of Galilee, where these guys were from, where their parents and grandparents would have seen this, 2,000 Jews were crucified. And they were lined up on the roads coming in and out of town as a reminder of this is what happens to you when you pledge your allegiance to something else besides Caesar. And so that that image, that story would have been fresh in their minds. So, this take up your cross was a striking mis- image of carrying the means of your execution, your death, as you went about living in Jesus' company. That's what it means to, to follow him. And if you're not willing to embrace the reality of laying down our life for the cause of Christ, and we're not worthy to be called. A follower of Jesus, because that's the path that Jesus was on. He was on a path of self-sacrifice, of yielding to the will of the Father. And the Apostle Paul understood this language, this imagery. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 3, if you can turn your Bibles there. It's page 1073. And Paul, right, he's going to the Gentiles, the non-Jews in, in the, the you know, Mediterranean area. They're preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it before and experiencing all kinds of persecution and beatings and floggings. This is what he says in Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, You see, Paul was on the fast track, man. He was highly educated. He was powerful, well-known, respected. And when he decided to follow Christ, that was a, a, a cutting point in his life. There was no turning back. He lost everything, all the credentials, all the influence, all that stuff that he had was gone now. And he said, you know what? Because of what I know about Jesus and what he's done in my life, I consider all that stuff I used to chase just garbage, Compared to surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. What does Paul mean becoming like him in his death? What do you think he's the sentiment of that? What is he trying to say there? Yeah. Just talking about giving things up, but not just giving up a few things on a day to day basis, but actually going to the being willing to go to the point of even death if that's what it takes. If he has to give up even his life, which is the most valuable thing to most people. Okay. Yeah. So he's talking about the difference between yeah, it's one thing to give up whatever it is, your career, finances maybe a relationship or whatever, saying I want to carry that all the way through to being willing to lay my life down if that's what it takes, if that's what the call of Christ demands for me on this journey. I've come to terms with that, right? Good. Anything else? Oh, Taylor, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it's yielding just your complete self, right? (laughs) Guys, here's the thing. If I value my life in this world more than I value Jesus in the life in the next world, I cannot be his disciple. If I value my life in this world more than I value Jesus in the life of the next world, I cannot be his disciple. Jesus came to bring a sword, and a sword cuts. And it divides. Its purpose is to divide. And Jesus, as we've been looking over the last several weeks, he is constantly in the business. If you read the Gospels and see what he says, he's constantly in the business of trying to divide the genuine from the fake. The real thing from the facade. In Matthew 15a, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says this. These people honor me me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They look great on the outside. They're saying all the right things, but on the inside, their hearts are not mine. They're not yielded. They're not surrendered. And guys, we have to keep in mind the context of Jesus' speaking. He knows what he's preparing these guys for. He knows that the cross is coming for him. He knows that for his fledgling little church on the other side of his resurrection, comes persecution right fierce opposition from rome and from the jewish religious authorities he knows that these guys are going to be thrown into the coliseum and devoured by lions he knows that nero is going to take them and put them on stakes and light them on fire he knows all these things are coming there was no room for people who were merely interested or intrigued by jesus This couldn't just be, oh, that's, that's interesting. Oh, man, I want to go see the next cool healing that Jesus does. He's like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about giving your life away. That's why the crowds thinned out often. <laughs> when Jesus said hard things, people are like, well, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. He needed people who were so convinced of his lordship that they were willing to die for that belief because a lot of them did. <laughs> And here's the sad reality initially, and maybe it's actually encouraging for us, is that after Jesus' arrest, when he's going to be taken on trial right before he's executed, Matthew writes in Matthew 26, 56, Matthew, who was one of the people, he's talking about himself. Matthew 26, 56 says this, all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. Not exactly a ringing endorsement for loyalty, right? (laughs) Like most people, the disciples wanted Jesus for what he could do for them. They loved being a part of something that was powerful. Healings and miracles and transformed lives and the adoration of the crowd as they came into Jerusalem that last week of Jesus' life. The thought of, man, when Jesus gets his kingdom established, I'm going to have this position in his new kingdom and I'm going to have all this authority. You know, they're always arguing, who's who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom, you know? Who's going to sit on his right hand? But when it became bitterly clear that Jesus' plan and his path was not one of upward mobility, but of laying down your life, of consistently serving and giving yourself away, that's when he found out who was really with him. This message is supposed to be good news, the hope of the world. Guys, the reality is is it kind of hurts going down. It's hard to swallow because the rewards are eternal, right? We spent, you know, a few months just a little bit ago (laughs) talking about what eternal life's going to be. And it's going to be amazing, but we don't get that yet. Jesus says in the here and now, there's going to be suffering and it's going to be trouble. (laughs) In this world, there will be trouble. You will have trials. You will be persecuted. But take heart, right? Here and now, the path of sacrifice, letting go of our allegiances to everything and everyone, including our own life. Is there a line in your life? There are. There are lines in our life. Maybe I shouldn't ask it as a question. At which we kind of draw, like, I'll follow Jesus this far right? And so if you think about standing on a beach and you've got kind of these lines in the sand, as they say, right? We, we have all these lines in all these different categories. So we've got kind of a comfort line, right? I'll follow Jesus, but I, I, I kind of want it to still be, you know, fairly comfortable. We have lines with our finances. I'll be generous, but I don't know about like really radical generosity. Mm. And we have lines over here of like forgiveness, like yeah, I'll I'll go this far with this person, but that's it. Like At some point, they've got to own up to their part of this deal and like that's on them, right? We have these lines. Our association with the poor. Who will I surround myself with? Who am I willing to consider better than me? Our reluctance to repent and take responsibility for our sin and the pain that it causes others. We have lines about how much responsibility we'll take, how much we'll acknowledge about that. We have lines about being willing to go wherever he leads us and do whatever he asks us to do. I'll do these things, but I don't know about that. We all have these lines, and Jesus is in the process of coming alongside us on that beach (laughs) and going up and kind of wiping out all those lines. Or maybe he sends a wave in that just, whoosh, and all the lines are gone. But he doesn't just wipe the line away. He then looks at us and says, hey, let's talk about why you had that line to start with. What was going on in your heart? Uh, what was going on in, the, in your lack of trust in me? That you, you felt like you needed to put that line there for your own safety or protection or well-being or whatever, your own happiness? Let's talk about that. And then Jesus, if we cooperate with him and we're willing to be honest, what he wants to do is he wants to push those lines out <laughs> and create new, new boundaries or maybe no boundaries where we just yield and say, God, whatever you want, however far the line is. But it's probably going to be uncomfortable. I can tell you that. So what does it mean to be saved? It means that we thoughtfully consider the cost of the call. That when we read the scriptures and the gospel, we read the whole thing. Not just the stories that we like about Jesus, but all the words. Even the parts of Jesus that we don't want to know. Because to rescue our hearts from sin and death and eternal separation from Jesus forever, it cost him his life. It cost him everything. He withheld nothing from us. So his demand is that we do the same. But before we drift down the slippery slope towards doom and gloom, (laughs) we have to remember that this is all good news for those that receive it and surrender to it. Because here's the thing, is all other roads, Jesus said, lead to death. They might look good in the short term, right? The, the flashy lights and, and all the fun. Because why do you think we have so many celebrities in our culture who are lonely and desperate and hurting? Because they've found out too late that what they thought was going to bring them everything they ever wanted isn't really what they need guys, here's the good news, is that we aren't left to our own strength to figure out how to live this self-sacrificial life for Christ, right? At the same time that Jesus was saying, guys, this world is going to be difficult. And here's the thing, I'm going to be leaving soon, and that's going to be difficult for you to swallow too. But guys, I'm going to send you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who's going to live inside of you. My very presence, the power of to do everything that I've called you to do, to live this life, this self-sacrificial life I've called you to, and to do it joyfully. Not as like, oh gosh, man, I gotta carry my cross. Another day of being a Christian in this world. Oh, right? He says, yeah, you're gonna be carrying your cross, but, right, remember he also says, come to me who, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls, right? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Both of those things are true at the same time. Hey, wow, is that the music that's time to stop? It's like the Academy Awards, all right, Bob, let's bring it to a wrap. All right? We have to hold those things in tension, guys. They're both true. we got to carry our cross, and it, it's a hard life. But also, another verse says that his commands are not burdensome. Right? So there's a sweet spot in there. If we're, if we're viewing it just as doom and gloom, I'm like, oh, being a Christian's so difficult. You're not viewing it right. We've got to reframe our mind here. Okay? I want to finish in Romans chapter 8. If you could open your Bibles there. This is Paul again. And he gives us some perspective. I'm going to start in verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through word, 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 wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That He prays for us in accordance with God's will. Isn't that awesome? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Okay, skip down then to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who will bring any change against those whom god has chosen charge excuse me it is god who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one jesus christ who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us so that's that's the holy spirit praying for us all the time <laughs> that's jesus sitting at the right hand of god praying for us all the time right who shall separate us from the love of Christ? All trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, the call of discipleship is great, but the love and the power of our God is greater than any fear or uncertainty, any worries that we have, any reluctance, any duplicity in our hearts. And so the call is to surrender him to him, to the one who surrendered his life for you, I was listening, some of you guys know, I'm old, all right? I used to like this band named U2 for a long time. You might have heard of them. They're a rock band. If you haven't, look them up. They're kind of good. But it was a a concert uh, album that I was listening to. And the lead singer said this to the crowd. He said, there's only one flag in this world, the white flag. Surrender. Have we fully surrendered to doing Christianity our way? Have we waved the white flag <laughs> to our Savior and said, teach me, teach me your way, God. What is, what is Christianity, what is following you look like on your terms? Teach me how to do that. Help me to see the, the things that I still want to hold on to because I, I have these lines that, that I don't want to let go of so that I can be completely yielded to you So that I don't find myself unworthy of the calling that you've given me. Guys, we're going to take communion. (laughs) And communion is just a reminder again that, it's a reminder of a couple things. It's a reminder of how far Christ went to save us. Right? What it cost in order for us to have life and forgiveness and hope and joy and eternal life with him was Jesus' blood and his body. And what it costs for us to follow him is the same thing, right? So in doing communion, we say on one hand, I receive that. I understand what the cost was, and I receive it. But then I also understand that you're calling me to that same thing. And I'm saying by participating in this that I'm on board with that. And so if you're not sure if you're on board with that, I would maybe not take communion. It's okay if you're still sorting that out and trying to figure out, is that the life that I want to live, this calling, Okay, because this, this is a serious thing, the implications of what we're about to partake in. <laughs> and it reminds us as it goes into us that Christ is in us, giving us the power to live the life he's called us to. Okay, um, the cups are here on the side um, and the white lid cups are the gluten-free ones. There's ones in the balcony for, for those folks up there too. So um, we're just gonna give you some time of silence to pray and the ushers will dismiss you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Um, Man, you know, a lot of times we read these things, and, and it is kind of the Jesus we don't want to know sometimes, because it's hard, and it's heavy, and even this week, as I was kind of having a heavy week, and then I had to sit in this heavy scripture, and I'm just like, oh gosh, come on, Jesus, really? Like, this is what I got to preach this week? Um, and it's difficult, but God, you're, you're trying to, to help us understand Uh, the real path to life and just how short this time is here on earth and that in order for us to really love people well and to serve people well and to forgive well and to be um, generous and gracious that we have to die to our own desires we have to be willing to nail those selfish parts of us to the cross or else we will never reflect you well we will always stop short of how far you want to go, how radical your love is, your grace is, your mercy is. We'll always try to back off that a little bit to make it comfortable for us. God, we have to surrender. We have to yield. So God, confront those parts in our hearts that still are clinging to things that, that are not you, other idols that we have, things that are second best that we've made best. Show us what those things are.